Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and uh, myself, Mike Berg, are here doing our COVID-19 online learning experience for students at Wisconsin Lutheran College. Today we're going to do a session for Philosophy 202, which is apologetics. And we're going to talk about uh, kind of briefly the new atheists, which aren't so new anymore. Kind of give you uh, just kind of a uh, what what they're what they're all about, and then uh, may, maybe talk about some of their basic arguments. So when we think about the new atheists, um, what have been dubbed the, the the four horsemen of the new atheists or the new atheism: Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, and Daniel Dennett. We'll talk about each of those just briefly, and then some of the, their arguments. Um, Richard Dawkins is a biologist from uh, uh, from the UK. Uh, some of his uh, more important books have been The Selfish Gene, The Blind Watchmaker, and The God Delusion. Sam Harris is an American. Uh, he's a neuroscientist, um, but also has a background in philosophy. Uh, the End of Faith, Letter to a Christian Nation, and Free Will, and uh, another book, uh, The Moral Landscape. Christopher Hitchens is really kind of more of a journalist. Uh, he is British, although spent a lot of time in America. Uh, he has passed away. Uh, he, his famous book is God is Not Great, but he was probably more in the public eye. Uh, wrote, I think, Vanity Fair for a while. And so he was, he was more kind of a personality and a journalist. Daniel Dennett is uh, an American, um, also into uh, neuro neuroscience, uh, cognitive neuroscientist, um, uh, more like a cognitive scientist, probably a better title for him. Uh, Breaking the Spell, Religion as a Natural Phenomenon is one of his bigger books, and Darwin's Dangerous Ideas. Now, all four of these guys are uh, decent guys. I respect them a lot. They're very, they're very smart. Uh, they do get themselves a little bit too worked up in certain things, and maybe, like all of us do, will make arguments um, a priori arguments, not always looking at the evidence. Um, and, and Christians do this all the time. They are going to argue for what they already believe. And, uh, th that's true of, the I don't new, ever do that. Mike. Yeah, that's true of all people. And it's true of the, uh, the new atheists as well. Christopher Hitchings, if, if, uh, if I had to have, a. uh, a beer with one of them it would be Christopher Hitchens, Hitchens. Is, my Hitchens is just a good writer like I I don't agree with him but I enjoy yeah. Hitchens writings and he was he seems like he was a interesting guy I like to have on a talk show and stuff like that too and the the least serious of the four um a wild youth pro-life uh, if I recall you know yeah this was actually one of the few people that was for the Iraq war which isn't necessarily where a lot of people might fall but like he was, he was not a cookie cutter type no, person. And, and none of them are, but Christopher Hitchens for sure was one of those. And, and he spoke. He wasn't looking to be in anyone's club. Yeah. And he didn't come down as erudite as, as the other three. The other three are, are especially uh, Dawkins and Dennett uh, were, were a little bit more heavy. Um, and there are debates within the scientific world with him. I can think of uh, Stephen Jay Gould uh, went toe to toe with Dennett and, and Dawkins as well. Um, and, and they will even on times sort of criticize each other, but, um, they, they were uh, together for a, uh, 
they got these four people together and they did like a video of them just talking for like two hours. And that's where they became probably the most famous of the, of the new atheists and have been willing to debate Christians and, um, and other people as well. But there are some criticisms from uh, the atheistic world against them as well. And in a lot of ways, they have kind of shifted off of the mainstream a little bit. Uh, they've said their piece um, and uh, a more gentler atheism, sometimes it's called, has sort of replaced that. So um, <clears throat> maybe I'll start with uh, uh, with Richard Dawkins. Um, I think uh, he is very well known for this idea of the selfish gene. So everything is kind of, um, the, the basic evolutionary impulse is to survive, right? And so we may think of all of our actions are designed, uh, although they of course would, would not like that word, designed to, uh, uh, to survive, to pass they on the genes. They have adapted to. Yeah. And, and what, what Dawkins will try to do is to say in his uh, book, Blind Watchmaker, is that evolution does explain what we call design. So uh, basically what they're saying is this. Okay, you uh, theist, and when we define theist as somebody who believes that there's a God, regardless of religion, um, and you, one of the strongest arguments is design, which we've been through in our class. That if there is, if I look out into the world and I see that there's design, like if I come across a watch in nature, I'm not going to say, oh, that just naturally occurred and popped out of uh, nowhere, but rather that there was a designer. And so he's going to say a blind watchmaker, that's his way of saying that evolutionary processes could give us the appearance of design or can function as a designer. We don't need uh, something outside nature to do this. Now, th this is, uh, this is, you know, you got to give him credit. He's really trying to attack one of the major criticisms of atheism and, and he's bold enough to do that. Um, but it's very hard to, uh, to uh, argue for design without a designer, right? And so that, that would be, I don't, I don't know that anybody is all that really convinced by his argument. What he does do is say, for those of you atheists who are kind of worried about uh, this design argument, we don't need that. Uh, you can still be an atheist and have that. I think that's not that he's going out to set out to, uh, to as at his goal, but but I think that finally is the goal that, uh, or or at least uh, his biggest accomplishment is that people who are already atheists have something to hang their hat on. Um, Daniel Dennett, um, so he's more into cognitive uh, type stuff, so flirting with uh, neurology and stuff like that. Um, he will go so far as to say religion is a natural phenomenon, like it makes sense that there would be religion. Uh, this is a part of the evolutionary process. There is a benefit or, or there was a seeming benefit for religion in, in evolution, but you don't really need that. And so it, it's not true. These religious uh, uh, doctrines are not true. But it does make sense sort of that there, this is a natural phenomenon that we would come together and we would have these sorts of things that we today call religion. Um, <clears throat> Sam Harris, uh, closely tied to Daniel Dennett, is a cognitive neuroscientist. Um, 
and he is going to uh, try to make the case that you actually can have morality. So, um, one of, again, one of the arguments against atheism is how, do you, how can you have such a thing like morality without an objective standard out there and therefore without an objective person? And we would get to the existence of God through the moral argument or the anthropological argument. And his argument is that morality can come out of, of evolution, but he is actually critical of some attempts at trying to get morality out of just evolution. And he's actually, at, at least at one point in his career, very critical of Jonathan Haidt, uh, who we'll talk about in a little bit. I'm going to punt on that a little bit and talk about how different attempts to get to morality without God. Uh, but that was his uh, thesis, and then he made it, uh, his PhD thesis, and then he made it into a book called The Moral Landscape. Um, <clears throat> Christopher Hitchens, God is not great. Um, he is known for the hitch slap, where he, because he's such a, he's such, he's so good at rhetoric and, and, and the written word as well, that with it a couple lines, he can kind of slam down those who criticize There's him. There's some good YouTube videos too that, once again, I don't necessarily disagree, agree with all his perspectives, although sometimes I do because he, he just didn't, um, entertain fools well, and I appreciate no. that. But no, he did not. Um, Although I there's think... some really good, like if you Google like Hitch slaps or yeah. Hitchens insults or Hitchens comebacks, there's some pretty pretty good. He's, <laughs> He's got that like British wit, but slightly inebriated. Yeah, and extra bulldogish. So when he's uh, when they, when they have this uh, two-hour video of these four sitting together, he has got he's chain smoking and he's always got uh, a drink in his hand, and he is definitely the most entertaining. Um, and so uh, full of wet, and, and I think actually kind of a nice guy. Like if you got to know, I mean, yeah. he's he's going to be witty and he's not going to suffer any fools. But uh, I don't know that he has a whole lot of ill will. He, like other ones, are going to make the argument that religion really poisons everything, like we need to move on beyond this, um, which is a kind of a contrast to uh, many other atheists who at least agree that will say, hey, uh, you know, uh, religion has done some good in this world, right? And, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, times when people say, if you want to take a third world country and make it educated and get out of a superstitious, superstitious past, one of the things that the easiest way to do that is make a Christian, right? I mean, you know, so the benefits of university and education, all those things that were, that came out of the Christian church, or at least were supported by the Christian church at one point. Um, but they're going to say Christianity has specifically has uh, not always been helpful, which we'd all agree with. But it also, um, we need to move beyond that. We don't need that anymore. Uh, and so uh, one of the major criticisms of the new atheism is this is a very, um, well, let's just say white, elite, male thing. And it's easy for somebody in Highly London, educated, yep, it, well off. Yeah. It's, it's easy for a professor elite in, a lot of ways. in London or California or Massachusetts or wherever um, that can say we don't need religion and kind of ignore um, what religion has done to for a third world country kind of thing. And so that's it's not a super great uh, argument against that, but there is uh, maybe uh, something, it, it's an easy target against the new atheist to say um, that you, you, you have lived with this, 
let's say the uh, you're living off a borrowed capital of a Western civilization, and and by the way, many of them are, are th- th- these new atheists are going to be pro. They're going to be pro-Western civilization in a lot of ways, um, uh, in their own version. Um, and what I find actually refreshing about the new atheist is that there are times when they're the only ones that seem to be honest in the conversation. So if you can kind of, and this is a this is too broad of a, a way of thinking about it, but you can think of maybe a conservative or fundamental, however you want to describe Christianity. We actually believe in uh, creation and the virgin birth and stuff like that. And then you have more of a, what we call maybe a demythologized or liberal Christianity that wants to maintain the cultural value of Christianity, uh, maintain maybe some kind of moral ethic, uh, some kind of meta narrative that, that uh, gives us a, a story of a beginning and a middle and an end and how shall we live, but denies all the miracles like virgin birth and resurrection and stuff like that. Um, the new atheists are the when, only... When Dr. Berg is talking, he's, I don't know if you can hear him when he does it, but he's rubbing his hands in a circular motion on this table. And I'll admit, we've got two tables put together and they do have a nice soft service, but it's almost like a DJ playing his turntables. <laughs> but when he stops talking, he stops rubbing his hands. So it's just like a... A cue like a, for you to talk. No, it's just it's just interesting because I've been watching. I'm like, why doesn't he rub him when he's not talking? But it it definitely goes with your speech. <laughs> wiki 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 wiki. Yep, that's right. So I'll give I you think a beat. the new atheists are sometimes the only honest ones in the conversation because they will call out those demythologizing Christians. And uh, in, f- in fact, Sam, Sam Harris will say you're giving cover for the radical right. So Sam Harris is definitely not for the the radical Christian right in, in America. And uh, I don't think we are the either, are we? Mike? No. So that's okay. why you kind of kind of like Sam Harris here, in in a lot of ways because Dr. Berg he's was honest. just about to do the hand thing again, and then I saw him look down, <laughs> and I made himself conscious about it. No, so he stopped. So, so I, I, I'm proud of that. Sam Harris can uh, be honest in this conversation, and he'll say to the, the liberal uh, Christians or demythologizing Christians, you're giving cover for all the Christianity when there is the bigotry and the hatred that comes from the, from the Christian right. And I think they will also be honest in a situation where they will say to those demythologizing Christians something that is akin to what St. Paul said. You know, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the whole thing doesn't work. Why are you still holding on to this, right? And so they can be very critical. They can also be, as, as people who are bold in their speech, but also very self-confident in what they have, what they have learned and uh, self-confident in their opinions, and think very rationally, or they think they are, they can be divorced a little bit from uh, uh, political correctness. They can also be uh, a little bit divorced when about, they're not really good at being sensitive to other people's feelings. And so they will, they will very boldly say, Islam's terrible. Um, and so they definitely break from their, you know, generally a liberal kind of political and, and I mean, my sense is that almost all of them, definitely Hitchens included, are harder on Islam than Christianity. Absolutely. And, the, and because they're just looking at the facts and their facts are how, how can we be open-minded, rational creatures? And for them, Christianity is better than Islam in this case. Um, and so they, they have, they are criticized. And I think rightfully so with, with lumping all Islam into one group, they're also 
can be uh, criticized of lumping all religions into one group and even going so far at, in some of them and saying they're going to criticize like Hinduism and Buddhism, which in the West, you know, we, we think of Hinduism and Buddhism, those Eastern religions coming kind of, you know, like through the Beatles or something like that. And it's a peaceful religion and all that Gandhi and all that kind of stuff. Truth of the matter is that, you know, if you lived in India right now, uh, that you would see the tensions between the different religions and there would be same apocalyptic uh, tendencies um, uh, that you see in Christianity and Islam that can become violent. Um, and you can see people that uh, wars and all that kind of stuff. So uh, they've been very non-PC with that, which is kind of refreshing in a certain uh, respect, even though you don't always uh, agree with what they, what they would say. Um, often they are called the Brights and uh, Daniel Dennett, for, for instance, will hold on to that. Um, and so they they come off as a little condescending in certain in certain instances, but what they're meaning there is people who are of the enlightenment, people who are enlightened, right? Who are going to be uh, thoughtful and rational about these things. Uh, maybe a couple other things, and then we'll get into their their arguments for morality and uh, why they think religion poisons everything. Um, one of the, there's been a, a lot of, uh, press lately about the new atheists are kind of dead. Like their movement isn't, isn't so much, uh, popular anymore. Uh, number one, uh, you, they're not PC. We've already talked about that. So you have more of a gentle, gen, uh, gentle atheism that is, is, has replaced them in certain circumstances. Um, a, a second reason is much of the atheist arguments from the new atheists are, we are the minority, we need to stand up for truth, we need to break the spell that is religion. And by the way, new atheists never thought of themselves as, um, let's say, intellectual leaders in the sense that everybody would follow them. They look at the world and they see it becoming more religious, and that scares them. So that's just a note for us Christians and that can specifically. Be, maybe with that, it's important to remember, they're not only looking at the Western world. So yep. this is not, no. they think America is clearly just becoming more religious, although in some ways America is. Yeah. Um, but especially the second and third world, they oh, would look absolutely. at and see the, the spread of Christianity and Islam um, especially in Africa, for instance. So they are going to look at their movement as on the ropes, much like Christians in America are like, oh my goodness, everybody is turning away from, from religion. They are going to play that kind of, I wouldn't say they play that martyr card, um, but there is a similarity between, let, let's say, a confessional Christian or a conservative Christian or a Christian right person in America who just thinks the world's going to hell in a handbasket and the only way that you can do it is by putting Jesus back into public schools. So for uh, the new atheists, they see they see America, right, as a, as a hard nut to crack. They see in Europe a resurgence of Christianity. They see uh, in the global South Christianity uh, uh, exploding. They see it even in, uh, in China and other places like that. And that scares them, right? And, and it drives them a little bit. And so notice how it's very religious. They, they have kind of evangelism, a proselytizing process. Um, they're, they're even apocalyptic, like if we don't change this, this is going to be bad for society and the world. Um, and, and maybe even a sense of martyrdom. It, much of it is 
couched in religious type terms. Um, even the fact, you know, the four horsemen, right, is a, is a reference from, from Revelation, although they didn't give that title to themselves, these four men. Um, so uh, as they look at the world and they see it becoming more religious, they are going to fight for that. And one of the criticisms, again, or, or maybe a cultural cultural, uh, somebody writing about culture is going to notice that this is happening, is that um, the new atheists really just aren't that important anymore. Like, let's move on to bigger things. Uh, when we talk about uh, relativism or an attempt at relativism, nobody's really a relativist, but attempt at relativism and the idea that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe your thing over there and I believe this thing over here. Once that really starts to take hold in our culture a little bit more, um, then the new atheists, they sound just as bad as the fundamental Christians or the fundamental uh, Islamic uh, preachers who are saying, my way or the highway. And, and because they, they can't have that sort of sensitivity, people are less and less inclined to listen to their sometimes very vicious attacks against religion. Um, uh, there are, from the atheist uh, community, but also the Christian community, the Islamic uh, community, criticisms of the new atheist arguments. Um, for instance, uh, you know, Christopher Hitchens may start saying something from philosophy to prove his point, and then the philosophers are going to say, yeah, I don't think so. Or Dawkins is going to make some statement about biology, and he doesn't. He's going to say it as this is the consensus, and this is what all biologists believe. And some biologists, whether atheists or not, are going to say, "Yeah, I don't really think so." And so, attacking some of their some of their uh, actual arguments a little bit, that they're not as strong as the as they thought. Um, one of the battles that went on was with Stephen Jay Gould, which we talked about already, who we talked about our, whom we talked about already in our classes here. You wrote about your mom texting. <laughs> and uh, one of their, one of Gould's ideas is NOMA, um, which stands for non-overlapping magisteria. And so uh, Gould, who has now passed away, uh, he was a paleontologist out of New York, and he or at least he was born in New York. I can't remember exactly where he where he taught um, offhand. He had he tried to attempt to reconcile in a way religion and and science so that at least we could go forward and not be at each other's throats. And so you can imagine two magisterias. Think about uh, magisteria coming from the Latin word for teacher. That these are overarching educational sorts of realms that guide us, right? And that they are masters to this. And um, they are non-overlapping, right? So if I want to talk about biology, I'm going to be in science. If I want to talk about morality, I'm going to be over here and I'm going to talk in terms of psychology, philosophy, and religion. And they they should not mix they should not overlap and the scientists should be quiet uh, for instance about morality and the religious person should not even venture a guest at anything about the beginning of the world or something like that because that's in the realm of science 
And it sounds nice and it sounds easy, but in reality, it just doesn't work. And so I would agree with those uh, criticisms of NOMA, non-overlapping magisteria, um, from my point of view. And uh, this is a kind of a key here where especially Sam Harris is going to say, uh, no, um, science should talk about morality and can talk about morality. And if we don't, then we're going to have honor killings and we're going to have uh, people making rules about homosexuality and gender and all of these other things that are wrong. And so what Sam Harris and others are trying to do is they're trying to say that from a purely scientific way of thinking, we can answer everything, including those such so-called soul things, right? Like right and wrong, uh, love, compassion, and all of those things. So what Sam Harris is going to attempt to do is he's going to say, uh, we don't have free will. He will very clearly say we do not have free will. We are biologically tied to uh, something, but he's not going to say this is actually determinism. determinism. He's going to use different terms, but maybe, maybe we call it like a soft determinism. Like we still have choices that we can make and that we, um, through reason, can come to the conclusion of what is right and wrong. And that's really going to be based on human flourishing. He'll use that term. Uh, so this ancient idea of what is the highest good, what is happiness, what is human flourishing. And since everybody's flourishing is going to help me flourish, that means that we can decide what is right and wrong by asking ourselves what, what, what is about human flourishing? What is going to advance this human flourishing? And we can say right or wrong. Now, the obvious criticism against this, uh, which he denies but doesn't do very well in, in making his case, uh, the obvious criticism is, but there is no such thing as right or wrong. I mean, th there's not an outside thing that's right or wrong. Um, whether you want to think about it as a platonic ideal or the, uh, an objective uh, moral compass that comes from God written in our consciences. And, and I think it's a fair criticism that you can't just go around and say, well, we've decided that this is good for human flourishing, therefore it is right. Um, all we're doing is looking at how we have progressed in an evolutionary state, and um, we've now given that label good or right versus evil and wrong. And I, I don't think he makes a very good case to, uh, uh, to, uh, to attack that argument uh, against him. And so that, that is a major flaw there. Now, he is rightfully critical, I think, of some attempts at morality. Uh, and this is early on. I think maybe he's developed uh, this a little bit more, but uh, Jonathan Haidt, who, who we've talked about a few times, he will talk about the righteous mind and how... number of very good books for students or listeners. I, pretty much anything by Haidt I'd recommend. Absolutely. Great writer, all these kinds of things. But he has a, <laughs> a faulty way of thinking about how we have come to the conclusion what is moral. And so he is very much tied to this is a survival of the fittest or the selfish gene kind of thing. So he's going to come up with uh, and, and many others have, have done this. And, and he does this. He, he lays the groundwork with uh, sociological experiments that have been done in studies where he's going to say, okay, 
there are certain circumstances where we generally say this is good and this is bad and we can tie it to brain activity that has to do with evolution. And then he'll try to explain it this way. So let's just say, um, you know, millions of years ago, uh, when uh, Homo sapiens, or not yet Homo sapiens, or whatever, uh, the precursors to what we know today as Homo sapiens, I'm getting my, my eras mixed up here, but um, they are sort of getting together in tribes. And uh, this is for their survival. And, but there's other animals or there's other tribes that are attacking um, our group. And so people who have males in particular who have this urge to defend, who, who do have the ability to defend, who are healthy, they don't have something, you know, they don't have some sort of disease or some sort of uh, deformity, they are able to defend the group. And so as they defend the group, this becomes attractive, right? And so we, we call this courage, right? And um, it, there's no such thing as courage. We're just making a, a soul type label on it. And when I mean a soul type label is it's something that is not, is not like a, a, a physical in its sense. It is, it, you know, I can't, I can't go into a laboratory, laboratory and look at, uh, you know, the, the biologist jars that he has collected stuff in, in his laboratory and say, oh, there's courage right there in that jar. And there's love in this jar. And there's compassion in this jar. There's evil in this jar. We just give it that label. Well, eventually, you know, as tribes uh, start to form and things kind of settle down a little bit, everybody's in their tribe and uh, the person who has been attacking these tribes either have been defeated and so they are uh, they have been killed and so they're not passing down their genes or the women in uh, the community would rather uh, make babies with a quote-unquote courageous man rather than the one who's right running wild then there becomes this idea in the tribe where you still have some people who are pretty you know they're, they're hot tempered or they're, they're tough. They're, they're a guy who's, who's willing to put up his fists and fight at any time that becomes kind of unattractive. That becomes not good for the tribe. And maybe those people are expelled. And so their genes are not handed on and women are less attracted to that. And so, um, a, a man of that era that would be attractive and be the highest good would also be compassionate. So we're going to give this this uh, word compassion to that. So Sam Harris is going to blow that apart and say, that's not, you know, not really any evidence of that, first of all, but also um, it seems, I would say, not Sam Harris, but I would say that seems a little far-fetched as well. Um, but he, he is going to say that doesn't solve the problem of what morality is. You're just saying that looks like morality, so we're going to use these terms morality. His argument is that there actually is a morality, that we are getting to human flourishing, and that that is right and wrong. It is absolutely right and wrong. Again, I'll repeat this, I don't think he makes a good argument about saying, uh, about defending the question, just because something is doesn't mean it's it ought to be that way. So you may explain you may have an explanation why uh, compassion is good for the tribe, but you haven't said that it ought to be that way. Um, just because something is doesn't mean it ought to be that way. It's called the is-ought problem. 
Now, he is going to respond and say, well, it ought to be that way because this is good, right? Now, we're into a, uh, you know, uh, uh, infinite regress here, right? Because I can say, how, how do you know that it's supposed to be that way? Um, and he doesn't, I don't think has a very good answer for that, but his ultimate goal is to be able to look at religion and say, you have done what is wrong. And to this, we say, absolutely. People have done things in the name of religion and specifically the Christian God that are absolutely evil, absolutely wrong. And he gives out some really nasty stories. I mean, the, you know, I don't care if you've, if you've watched every horror movie and, and have surfed the dark web, you read the moral landscape and there's a couple stories in, in there where you go, oh my goodness, I thought I had seen it all or heard it all. And he is very uh, graphic about the evil that has been done in the world. And so he would say, religion is bad for the world. And he's going to say, how could you believe in a God that would would uh, enact genocide against the Canaanites? How can you look at the Roman Catholic Church with its track record of sexual abuse? How can you do all of these things? And he's very blunt about that. And he gives a lot of ammo to the, let's say, angry atheists who is going to dismiss Christianity because of that. Now, we talked about all of these things uh, in a previous lesson uh, uh, and, and lessons coming up here uh, about the problem of evil and the theology of the cross as well that I think are pretty good answers to that. So this kind of gives you a broad sort of look at what the new atheists are trying to do. Maybe just a couple, couple other notes. Um, you know, Richard Dawkins is, is by the way, the one uh, who will say ideas can spread by means of imitation. So this is where we get the word meme rather than gene. Um, and so this, uh, it's not just the genes that pass things on, but people can imitate previous generations. And that helps explain why we have what we, we call uh, morality here. Um, some other arguments, uh, science has disproven the existence of God for them. This is not something that is debatable to them. Um, and if you refer back to uh, my talk with Dr. Keene about, uh, science and, and religion, um, that this is not a satisfactory answer, right? That they're working from a point of view that uh, a metaphysical naturalistic point of view. And, and the point there is only the natural world exists. And therefore, if you cannot, if you cannot see proof of an existence of God, then therefore God does not exist. Now, if you push them, they'll say, okay, maybe, 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 maybe. But that seems really, really, really uh, rare and not plausible. And so they are in effect going to be atheists. Um, they're going to say people can be moral without God. And if you look at the world, seems to me that people without God tend to be more moral. Um, now, there, there's some ways to combat that. Is, is one way is to say, oh, now can you believe? Can you believe how bad they would be without God? I mean, let's be honest here. You know that that's not a that's not a full argument, right? Just to say, well, everybody and every atheist in the Western world doesn't seem to fight, but then you have these Islamic terrorists. Well, number one. You have a culture that has been based off the, the love of Christianity and you're, you're living off the borrowed capital of that culture. Number two, the 20th century, right? Atheistic re regimes. And number three, 
pull out religion from all of these peoples, you may even see something worse. You can't prove that it wouldn't be worse. And in fact, I think it can make a pretty good argument um, that Christianity, Christianity is kind of like the CIA. We look at the CIA and they're like, they've started all these wars and conspiracy theories. And a CIA person may say, um, yeah, but without us, the wars would have been longer well, and brutal. And I think Dawkins recently has come out and kind of said, in some ways, as things are developing, we're almost a little worse off without Christianity. Yeah. As far as for, uh, well, I don't want, I can look it up more another time, but I, I think he's come out and said, I will say, Mike, though, too, that, that and, idea and, that. And it should say to that point that many of them softened a little bit here. Right. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, as opposed to some other Christian traditions or confessions, Lutheranism is kind of pretty well positioned, I would think, too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, with the idea of, um, you know, the idea that you can't be moral without God. Uh, we're a little bit more positioned than some other groups to say, eh, actually, you can kind of be. Oh, absolutely. Um, with our two kinds of righteousness, when we talk about civic or civil righteousness, or what Melanchthon in the Apology calls, I believe, the righteousness of the philosophers, right? We're, we're willing to grant that you can be a pretty good person with horizontal righteousness. Um, it's just you're never going to be righteous enough for God. Now, the atheist isn't concerned with that if they don't believe God exists. Right. But Well, and, and another point where I think, uh, I, and not just Lutheranism, but I would say a, a kind of a classical Christian view of yeah, maybe the bound will and everything is, um, well, let me get into this a little bit more. Uh, many of them are going to deny free will. And then try to navigate that. And I think Lutherans have a unique position to say, yeah, yeah. I mean, we do have a bound will um, when it comes to things above. Like, I can't stop sinning. Um, or that, uh, and this gets into my second point. Um, well, let me, let me explain this and, and, then, and then come back to it. Uh, broad picture, a lot of people, especially the new atheists and gentle atheists today, are not going to define themselves as we classically understand atheism. When we classically understand atheism, we have said somebody, we're describing somebody who says, I do not believe that there is a God. So a theist, like no God, there is no God. What actually a lot of them mean is that they're atheism. And what they mean by that is we have not seen any evidence to be a theist that I should believe that there is a, is a God. And so the default position is that there is no God. You need to prove it to me. Everybody is born an atheist. And it is only beca because of the culture or a specific person's parents that they then become theists. But we are rational creatures, and we are going to stay with our atheism uh, we're not theists who just believe in a God. You need to prove it to me. And since you can't prove it to me, I'm not going to be convinced. So in, in a way, the, the Lutheran's pretty good about saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, not every child's born atheistic in the sense that they don't believe that there's a God and they don't know that there's a God, but certainly born an enemy of God, right? And so there there is a uh, connection there, I think, um, I, I lost uh, many hours of my life trying to argue with somebody the difference between atheism and atheist, you know, and he was insisting upon that he was a theism rather than atheist. You get to the same point, of course, um, but you got to understand where they're, where they're coming from.
Um, one thing, too, is that they are going to accuse God, uh, even so far as being uh, a child abuser. And so this is a flippant kind of thing that they are going to say, especially to Christianity. Um, well, very specifically to Christianity, that if God's son was put on the cross, then God is a child abuser. Now, of course, you're going to say, what does it matter to you? You don't even believe that God exists, but they're just kind of making fun of religion, which is somewhat kind of the hitch slap kind of thing, making fun of religion. Think of all the memes that are out there, you know, uh, that, that make fun of, uh, of Christian or Islamic doctrine. But of course, that's a misunderstanding of the Holy Trinity, right? That, um, <clears throat> that it's God who dies, right? He, Jesus is full God. And so uh, he does go willingly as a lamb goes uncomplaining forth. Um, but the idea that God is a moral monster is, is a difficult one. How do you deal with the problem of God in the Old Testament or in today's world, allowing, we would say, even doing some of these things that outwardly seem evil? And we'll talk about that a little bit with the theology of the cross, but we can stick to the Old Testament and say, how could God do this to the Canaanite people? In our last episode, we did talk about how God, think about God has to be just and think about he's actually probably more patient than we give him credit for. The other thing to deal with, and we've mentioned this before, is look what God's got to work with, right? He's only got to work with nasty people. And he's working in the ancient Near East, which, oh man, would look, make our would make even us blush at what the nasty things that were going on in the ancient Near East. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of no concept of human rights. Um, it could be a very, very nasty place. And there is a sense of progress, right? I mean, there, Israel was quite uh, progressive for its time. We look at it and say it's still backwards, but it would have been progressive for its time. And there is a progress of morality, not that we are getting less sinful. I don't mean that. What I mean is that, and, and nor do I mean that it's a straight line up. It's, there's a lot of ups and downs. But I do mean this, that um, we do kind of come to conclusions that certain things are wrong that in the past we, we, we ignored. Again, it's not a straight line. But you can think about that in the history of the last 50, 60 years in America. Is there still racism in this world, in America? Uh, yes. Does it get played out in nastiness? Yes. Are we very um, worried about uh, a white power movement? Yes, this would be a blip on there. But right now, it's not socially acceptable to say something out loud that's racist. 50 years ago, it would have been acceptable, right? And so as much as we don't like the PC culture sometimes, and we, we all hate it, if it's PC against what we what we want want to speak as truth, um, it, we generally have grown to conclusion that certain things are wrong that in the past we either ignored or tried to make excuses for. So you can think about like Abraham Lincoln. You know, Abraham Lincoln is working for the emancipation. Uh, you know, the the freedom of the slaves. You know, the Emancipation uh, Declaration, excuse me, I'm, my, lips, my lips aren't working it's right all, now. It's all right, it happens to the best of us. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> but it's not like he set down all these rules that were perfect, and we just haven't lived up to that. There was still progress. There still needed to be a civil rights movement and those kinds of things, and we're still not get there because there are 
certain economic and housing policies that that are inequitable. I don't think anybody can uh, rightfully look at that and, and not ag agree with that statement. So, you know, would we like God just to go boom, here is evil's gone and here's the standard? Well, in a way he did, right? I mean, he did give us his Ten Commandments. He did give us this. But he's also working with what he's got. Um, and uh, that, that makes me a little squeamish to say that. But I think it's just the reality of, of the things. Uh, you know, uh, our best politicians have to make compromises, right? And, and have to give in, hopefully, progressing towards the right way. And, of course, there's all sorts of twists and turns and ups and downs. So just to say, I can't believe in God just because of, of the nastiness of the past, I don't think it's that easy of a statement. Um, uh, first of all, God's existence doesn't depend on if you like what he did or not. We talked about that before. Um, but also, to, to fully see the picture that there is something, there is a progress going on here, right? And in the New Testament, we do talk about in days past, this happened. Now things are different. Um, so it's not wrong to talk about uh, there is a little bit of sense of progress there. Um, I'm going to give you the last word here. We sort of talked about uh, uh, enough of this. I, I got more notes here, but um, I, I think that's a pretty good picture of the new atheist movement. Um, it is going off the, the side. Uh, uh, one reason why it's going to the sidelines is a lot of people who were, let's just say, feeling pretty good about themselves by making fun of Christianity and uh, tying themselves to the new atheism. Um, there, there was a, there was a uh, peak of that. Um, it's hard to speak truth to power when nobody, when you kind of have the power, right? So even though atheists always felt that they were uh, on the ropes, and in a lot of cases they are, um, you know, Hitchens was, was revered as a saint, <laughs> right? When he died, that was a big deal. And it's hard, it's hard to get that self-righteous feeling uh, when there's no enemy to combat in certain certain eras, uh, I'm thinking of you know being on a, a university campus, and I think that a lot of these atheists who are really riled up have moved on to different causes, whether it be environmental causes, uh, other social justice causes, and I would say that the four men that we mentioned, Dawkins, Harris, Hitchens, and Dennett, all to a different degree. Not so much Dennett, maybe, but the, all of them have, have not always been PC and have had their issues with, uh, with the, the larger liberal community, whether it be because of uh, accusations of misogyny, um, of racism or whatever, um, that they get pushed to the side a little bit. And it, it, it's, you, have a, you have a better avenue for self-righteousness by moving on to different causes. And so one of the reasons social commentators will say the new atheists have been pushed to the sidelines is that those who are not Christian or not religious have found new causes um, to get worked up about, whether right or wrong. And uh, that, that's their avenue. That's their that fulfills their religious impulse rather than the, the maybe more ang angry and evangelical New atheist. Um, one thought, and then I'm going to kick it to you. A lot of this comes, a lot of this is a reaction of Christians saying stupid things. A lot of this is a reaction of Christians being closed minded. A lot of this is a reaction to Christians um, really 
almost almost loving and being proud of being unintellectual which there is a there is a there is a a stream in american christianity that does hold on to that to be unintellectual to be fideists in a certain way and that is a large part uh the new atheist movement is a reaction to that i'll give you the last word we're just about out of time yeah i think i think part of it just in in general too is that there's a an acknowledgement or recognition that it, at some point the tone just doesn't help. Um, and I think this isn't just true of new atheism, but I think it's true of, uh, you know, anything that's kind of militant or in your face is, uh, you, you can't do meaningful conversation by, um, memes and, uh, you know, kind of brutish posts on Reddit. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're only going to get so far. And, And so I think even, among some of the new atheists in the ways you've seen them branch out, uh, you know, Sam Harris having a podcast and mm-hmm. trying to bring out different guests. And I, I think trying somewhat to become more conversational. Um, I think there's just somewhat of an awareness, which is a good reminder for us all that to be in a conversation and, and to want to convince someone of your view, uh, one of the necessary prerequisites of, of that is going to be uh, learning uh, the appropriate way to do that without, actually turning people off you know it's the same as um like uh well it could be crosswood crossfit it could be veganism it could be religion um it could be a particular economic viewpoint there's just a certain point where you start to lose people if you're too much in their face um too combative and uh, and i think there's been a recognition among some of them that, that this is maybe a something that can be better done in a different way. And I think in particular, Sam Harris, who is very much about meditation, like he, he is attracted to these religious sort of, uh, ways of thinking, uh, the spiritual life, uh, spiritual techniques. And he is saying, you can have this sort of feeling of spirituality, uh, and you can do it without being religious. Uh, so much like a Christian can practice yoga without, you know, giving up the resurrection of the dead. So he is going to co-op some of these things. And so he has become softer in that way. Like you said, he's got a a podcast and stuff like that. He's still going to stick to his guns. Um, but he does realize there's something else out there, but then just pure rationality. Right. And, and so he making some being positive about this, like atheism is, can often be seen as something what they're not, right? I'm just not a theist or I'm, I don't believe that there's a God. And I think there, there is a movement to say this, this is a full kind of worldview. I don't think it is, um, but you can see that attempt being made. All right, thanks for coming on, uh, Dr. Johnson. Uh, we're closing up our semester here in uh, Philosophy 202 Apologetics. If you were listening in, I hope this was beneficial to you as well. Um, not, not the same as being face-to-face in a class where we'd have a lot of more discussion, um, but the students do have to do quite a bit of their reading and, and, and do some writing on this too, so they have to think about it a little bit uh, too much on their, a uh, little bit more on their own. All right, until next time, let the bird fly.